Good morning. In today's headlines, more than 100 million Americans are under some form of heat advisory, and doctors are warning about heat burns, but not just from the sun. The U.S. House votes to end a Pentagon policy that pays service members to travel out of state for abortions. Republicans also passed other amendments pushing back against Pentagon policies. Whether it's de-risking, decoupling, or diversifying when it comes to China, Congressman Mike Gallagher says we shouldn't be funding our own destruction. We had a chance to talk to the chairman of the House Select Committee on the CCP after yesterday's hearing. No more dress rehearsals. The largest actors' union officially goes on strike. The move brings a perfect storm of both writers and actors walking out for the first time since 1960. A WHO committee has ruled a popular artificial sweetener is linked to cancer risk in humans. The sweetener is used in thousands of products from diet sodas to sugar-free yogurts. And to start your weekend fresh with the Wimbledon drink, we teach you how to make one of your own. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. Good morning, everyone. Today is Friday, July 14th. Happy Friday, everybody. A Russian general says he's been fired, and it's just another example of infighting among the Russian ranks. Yeah, that's right. Another uh, Prigozhin first, and now him. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, there are differences there. Prigozhin was accusing the defense ministry of actually causing President Putin to go into war and de deceiving him there. But where he, this general, is actually accusing him of backstabbing his army. Hmm. But then both are saying they didn't get, a, get enough resources. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, some military bloggers are now saying that this firing actually destroys the Russian morale in that army. Hmm. We will have more on that later. First, we want to start with the heat wave across the country. The National Weather Service said more than 100 million people are under some form of heat, heat warning. Some parts of the southern plains in Las Vegas are projected to reach 115 degrees, and Texas has been enduring triple-digit temperatures for 27 consecutive days. In Arizona, doctors have seen more burn injuries, but not all of them are from the sun. Arta Brench is a homeless person in Phoenix, Arizona, one of many struggling with relentless heat waves in the American Southwest. He carries a bed sheet with him, but he says it isn't necessary for sleeping or for shade. This is every once in a while, but I decided to get a sheet and drench it with water and cover myself with it because it was just too hot. Many parts of the U.S. are seeing heat waves that are set to break records. For the homeless, the hot weather is even more challenging. In Phoenix, it's very difficult. For two straight weeks, the city has seen the mercury shoot up to at least 110 degrees. You just sign away, okay? Kevin Hendershot has been on and off the streets for 25 years. Even after over a decade of that in Arizona, he says the heat there is like nothing else. I'm at, uh, used to the Arizona heat. Um, I've been here for 12 years, and I haven't seen nothing like it. It's hot. And I fell asleep on some con hot concrete, and my whole left side got third-degree burns on them. You know, um, so that's a that's an eye opener. On this day, Hendershot was getting a checkup at a mobile medical van from Circle the City. It's an outreach program that provides homeless people with access to medical care. Mark Bueno is its medical director. 
We have about a thousand, just a little under a thousand people living in this area uh, that wouldn't otherwise see a doctor, wouldn't otherwise get uh, uh, medical care unless it's inside of a hospital. So in order, you know, the ability for me to see them means a lot to me. Bueno says the mobile clinic is seeing a lot of burns similar to Hendershot's, as well as severe dehydration. He expects the situation to get worse as parts of the southwest brace for more hot weather. Forecasts predict Phoenix will next week break a 1974 record of 18 straight days at over 110 degrees Fahrenheit. Remember everyone to stay safe and take the necessary precautions during this dangerous heat wave. You can check today's forecast in just a few moments. The so-called cocaine gate scandal at the White House has officially ended. The Secret Service announced yesterday it concluded its investigation, but no suspect was identified. And today's Jack Bradley has reactions from lawmakers on Capitol Hill. The Secret Service has wrapped up its investigation into the recent cocaine discovery at the White House due to a lack of evidence and without a suspect. The cocaine was found inside a package used to temporarily store electronic and personal devices prior to entering the West Wing. The Secret Service said they were unable to retrieve fingerprints from the package, nor retrieve a sufficient DNA sample to compare with individuals associated with the incident. Now, facing the outcome of this investigation, let's hear some reactions from lawmakers on Capitol Hill. It's a complete failure. I mean, this thing is, is ridiculous. My question to them was, have they drug tested this list of 500 potential suspects that brought an illegal substance, a drug, cocaine, into the White House? Their answer was no, and that they're unwilling to do so. So uh, I'm satisfied that the Secret Service and the White House are on top of it, but I don't know how many people would want to go to the White House if they were going to be administering a drug test on the way in, which is what some of my colleagues have suggested. I cannot imagine that they don't know whose cocaine it was. You give up a certain amount of privacy when you choose to work in the White House um, and you choose to live in the White House. Uh, you know, the, the public has a right to know. So I don't, I don't get why, why they'd want to close it down. For, for what possible reason would they close it down other than um, they don't want, you know, the, the uh, perpetrator found. With the conclusion of this investigation, the Secret Service says it takes its mission to protect U.S. leaders, facilities, and events seriously and it constantly is adapting to the needs of the current and future security environment. Hollywood Act, uh, the Secret Service, sorry about that, says this isn't the first time drugs were found in the White House. Twice in 2022, a small amount of marijuana was found. A spokesperson told the Epic Times it was confiscated and destroyed, but it didn't meet the legal threshold for federal or local charges. However, federal law classifies any possession as a misdemeanor, so it's not clear what the spokesperson meant. And going over to that story now, the Hollywood actors officially went on strike at midnight yesterday, joining writers who walked out in May. And today's Daniel Monaghan has more on the first dual work stoppage in the entertainment industry since 1960. Actors Union SAG-AFTRA posted on Twitter, 12.01 a.m. Pacific Time, that's a wrap. Officially commencing the strike, the move will force film and TV studios to halt many productions across the U.S. and abroad. Union President Fran Drescher says she can't believe how far apart the two sides are on so many issues. I am shocked by the way the people that we have been in business with are treating us. Drescher says a dire moment in history has arrived. 
If we don't stand tall right now, we are all going to be in trouble. We are all going to be in jeopardy of being replaced by machines. The union president added that the studios will share the wealth because they cannot exist without the actors. Actor Josh Hartnett says the industry is experiencing rapid change and ground rules for the future need to be set. I think a very important um, time in, uh, in these negotiations for both the writers and the actors. Both writers and actors are demanding increases in base pay and residuals in the streaming TV era. They also want assurances their work will not be replaced by AI. The actors fear AI could be used to duplicate their voices and likenesses and want control over how these digital simulations are used on screen. That's something actor Carrie Elway says films have been sounding the alarm about for years. It's always been we need to like protect ourselves, whether it's HAL or the Terminator. The actor is calling on Congress to draft new laws. The Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers says it offered the highest percentage increase in minimum pay levels in 35 years and significant protections on AI-related matters. Striking Hollywood actors are expected to join film and TV writers on picket lines on Friday. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. And joining us now for more is Tommy Habib. He is a veteran TV host and executive producer who was also part of the last actor's strike in 1980. Good morning, Tommy. Part of the reason are the changes that AI and streaming platforms brought with them, as we just heard. Can you go in a bit more detail and tell us how exactly they impacted the actors? Well, I'll tell you. I mean, these are very, very scary times. Um, I remember back in 1980 when we... I was a young kid and walking the picket lines. We had kind of the same things. You know, technology uh, is moving so fast. And back then it was it was pay television uh, that we were re really worried about. And we didn't have the Internet yet. So we weren't quite sure what the future light laid out for us. And but because of that strike, it made a huge difference in in my career and being able to make a living in this industry. Uh, you know, the, the, the thing is about today, we just need some protections. We need some, some guardrails on AI. There's no question we're excited and want to see an increase in our base pay because we hadn't had one in a long time. But most important, it's getting guardrails on AI so, so that we're protected. You know, we've been such an important piece of the film and, and television industry since it started, the actors. And uh, we're going to lose that with AI because it's doing nothing but getting better. And I got to tell you, even for you guys sitting there reading this news off and reporting the news, y'all are going to be the first to be affected by AI because it's, it's going to be a little bit easier. They're going to type in what they want you to say, and it's getting pretty scary. Mm. And in terms of guardrails, what type of guardrails would you be expecting or would you hope for? Yeah, so there's many, many things that, that can happen, you know, to, to put these guardrails up. And they're just, they're throwing some fluff out there, but they want final control over, uh, over the AI and what they say and, and who they use. But my, my idea, and I wrote about this and it's in my blog and it just got published in these stories. I believe just like blockchain that we could do some sort of fractional credits it makes the most sense. So when AI goes out there and grabs uh, grabs words or grabs feelings, it's grabbing it from somewhere. So why can't it document every move? 
And it could if the, the guys that wrote the, the, the program, the, the AI programs, control that. And the government could put restrictions on that. And our industry could force them to put restrictions on that so that everybody would get credit that that AI is using. So I also want to touch on the other side because Disney's Bob Iger said that the demands are unrealistic and that right now it's just not a good time. So basically it would add to the challenges that the industry is already facing and he finds that dangerous. Now I'm just wondering <laughs> about your reaction on this. Yeah, I, I, it's a bit of a joke. So the reason they're having such problems is because their own mistakes. See, I come from the producer's side as well. I'm an actor. Dick Clark gave me the tools to become a producer, and that's what made my career work for so many years. But the 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 uh, the networks and the primarily the big studio guys, they uh, they all jumped into this streaming piece, and they've lost billions and billions of dollars. They hadn't figured out a way to make streaming work, and they all started fighting and and putting all this money into productions and over-creating content, spending $15, $20 million on an episode of television, trying to get people to watch. And believe me, they've made some great television out there. And I'm proud of what they did, but they made a mistake. And they put too much money, and they're all bleeding money. They lost billions and billions of dollars. You know, they were trying to follow Netflix because Netflix had a working model first that was making money and then all of a sudden everybody overspent and now they're going to try to blame the actors the writers and everybody else in the industry to take the hit for them well we can't do that they made a mistake they need to own up to that mm -hmm. mistake they're still making money don't get me wrong so it's it's not a bad play but i and as a businessman i understand you want to watch that bottom line but you've got to stay with the people that brought you You've got to take care of us, and and that's a huge problem. And I think we need to fight for that. And I promise right. you, I'll although I'm a producer, I'll be on that picket line this week. I think you're making a, an interesting point here. Also, would you please touch on really quick who this will impact the strike? Well, I got to tell you, you know, if the writers have been on since May, if we were to go back to work tomorrow, we wouldn't see production. We the end user wouldn't see television for. 10, 11 months. It takes a long time to ramp up and it affects so many people, not just the actors and the writers, and but you've got not only the grips, but you've got the people in the studios and the networks, even all the way down to painters, people that clean up and help uh, maintain the studios. And, and then you're talking about transportation as well. Uh, so many industries that are tied to our business uh, are going to be affected, and it's really sad. We're talking about, you know, there's a hundred thousand, over a hundred thousand actors out there, and uh, and a hundred thousand writers out there. There's even more actors that will be striking, but it's going to affect millions of people in our business. Mm. Well, let's see how all of this plays out. Thank you so much, Tommy Habib. I really appreciate your time this morning. Absolutely. Thank you for thanks for having me. If you want to learn more, go to TommyHavey.com or any of my social media. We're writing about it constantly and you can read my blog and, and uh, my piece on factional credits. All right. Thanks for pointing that out. Some more important information for you coming up. The House has voted to end a Pentagon policy that pays service members to travel out of state for abortions. We have reactions from lawmakers.
And the House Select Committee on the CCP held a hearing yesterday. It highlighted the dangers and risks of doing business with Chinese companies. We spoke to Committee Chair Representative Mike Gallagher. That story after the break. It is good to have you back with us. The House voted to end a Pentagon policy that pays service members to travel out of state for abortions. It was included as an amendment in the Annual Defense Authorization Act. The House on Thursday passed an amendment to the Defense Authorization Act that addresses the Pentagon's abortion policy. The measure would prohibit the Pentagon from paying for or reimbursing service members for abortions. Such expenses could include travel or temporary housing while seeking abortions in another state where the procedure is legal. To dive the Pentagon into such a political issue, uh, I think was wholly unnecessary. We asked the Pentagon not to do this because we warned them it would politicize the defense bill process. Republican Congressman Ronnie Jackson of Texas proposed the amendment. Thursday's vote was 221 to 213, largely along party lines. Democrats say they are opposing this version of the Defense Authorization Act because of this amendment. It's now become an extreme radical defense authorization bill. It's going to make it really hard now to recruit people from across America. Republican House members also passed other amendments that aim to push back against the Pentagon's policies. This includes a ban on the military's health plan from covering gender transition procedures and a ban on diversity, equity and inclusion training. Republican lawmakers have been opposing the Pentagon's abortion policy for months. Senator Tommy Tuberville of Alabama has been holding up military confirmations over the abortion policy. Since March, he has blocked more than 250 military promotions and confirmations, including for the leader of the U.S. Marine Corps. More on the defense spending bill. The House voted late last night to eliminate Pentagon diversity, equity, and inclusion programs and staff in the Department of Defense. The voting lasted until nearly midnight and included a slew of amendments. It's a tough pill to swallow for Democrats and a win for conservatives, but with a majority of Democrats signaling they cannot support the version of the bill crafted by conservative Republicans, Speaker Kevin McCarthy now has a razor-thin margin to get the must-pass National Defense Authorization Act over the finish line. The amendment initially failed 216 to 216, but was considered again and passed 214 to 213. The House will meet this morning to resume work on the bill. What risks and dangers do American companies face in China? Witnesses shared their experiences and the pitfalls of doing business with Chinese companies at a House hearing yesterday. Entity's Jeremy Sandberg has the story. Committee will come to order. Thursday's hearing was called Risky Business, Growing Peril for American Companies in China. It's time for American corporate executives to take off the golden blindfolds and stare with clear eyes at the growing peril of doing business in China. Three witnesses testified. Shazad Kazi, the chief operating officer and managing director of China Beige Book International, told NTD's Sam Wong that American companies need to become very serious about how they assess and manage their risk if they invest in China's economy. If you're betting on stimulus, you're going to lose money again. That's the other line coming from street research. The economy is weak, so there's going to be big stimulus. Big stimulus is not coming. 
Kazi says China's economic big bang growth that many Wall Street banks predicted was never based in reality and thinks the U.S. should target its most critical industries when it comes to fixing supply chain issues. I think the focus needs to be on the most important industries and the most important sectors where there is a real national security threat to the United States um, or where there is a legitimate need to have a diversity of suppliers. Congressman and committee chair Mike Gallagher told NTD that he doesn't advocate for a total decoupling with China, but that selective steps should be taken. De-risking, decoupling, diversifying, whatever you call it, the principle is, A, we shouldn't fund our own destruction, B, we should have a clear-eyed assessment about the risks of doing business with China, and then C, in certain key areas like microelectronics, uh, quantum, uh, energetics, uh, pharmaceuticals, we need to reclaim our economic independence so that we're not subject to the, the economic coercion of the Chinese Communist Party. Gallagher says he hopes the business community will listen and de-risk or selectively decouple on their own, but thinks ultimately it will take legislation. We're passing legislation on restricting the flow of U.S. capital to China, outbound capital, guardrails. I think is of paramount importance. It's something I think we need to do in the 118th Congress to ensure that U.S. investors aren't subsidizing our own destruction, aren't inadvertently or knowingly investing in Chinese defense companies, Chinese AI companies, um, Chinese technology companies that are perfecting a genocidal, techno-totalitarian surveillance state. The committee on the CCP's next hearing will be on the Biden administration's China strategy next Thursday. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. You can watch the full hearing on ntd.com slash live. And staying in the country, we're going to talk about religious suppression in China. Lawmakers are zeroing in on what's actually happening inside the communist regime and how the West is playing along. Our star reporter, NTD's Sam Wong, brings us more from Capitol Hill. Over here on the House floor, lawmakers and religious leaders have shared their testimony on China's persecution against the faith communities. Mike Gallagher, the chairman of the House-led committee on the CCP, said that Chinese leader Xi Jinping is, quote, playing the role of God. And in churches across Henan province, local CCP officials replaced the Ten Commandments with Xi Jinping quotes, like, thou shalt have no other gods before me, became diktats like, resolutely guard against the infiltration of Western ideology. Gallagher told me that China is imposing what he called transnational repression against the U.S. through its economic influence. Across the board, we've seen the Chinese Communist Party leverage access to their market and their economic power in order to coerce American companies, international companies. Tony Perkins is the former chair of the U.S. Commission for International Religious Freedom. He said that Washington granted China most favored nation status with the intention that it would better the regime's human rights record through trade. But decades later, the opposite happened. He said that U.S. businesses are now complicit in China's human rights abuse and that the victims on the receiving end of such malpractice includes Christians, Buddhists, Muslims, and Falun Gong practitioners. You know, China is actually more repressive today than they were two decades ago, and the reason is simple. They can afford to be, as American consumers fund their repression. So how do we prevent such business malpractice? I spoke with Frederick A. Davey, the vice chair of the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom. So these corporations obviously um, have lobbyists who protect their interests, particularly when it comes to relationship with China. So we need to address the ability of these corporations to lobby the U.S. government not to take the strong stand it can. 
Religious leaders at the roundtable are calling on Washington to take more robust action against China's totalitarianism. And the way of doing that is to make sure to establish networks to maintain open lines of communication between faith groups in China. Reporting from Capitol Hill, Sam Wang, NTD News. All right, and following criticism and political backlash, a bill on child sex trafficking is getting a second chance in the California State Assembly. The Republican-sponsored bill would add child trafficking to a list of serious felonies in California. Democrats who control the Public Safety Committee decided not to advance the bill earlier this week. They rejected it partly because they oppose longer prison sentences which they do not see as a deterrent to crime. They also worried the bill could unintentionally punish child trafficking victims with lengthy prison sentences. Assembly member Heath Flora addressed the issue on the floor of the assembly. SB 14, <clears throat> introduced by my colleague Shannon Grove, would make trafficking of children a serious felony. What kind of signal are we sending to people who, we, who elect us if we can't pass a bill to hold child traffickers accountable? This bill has now advanced from the Public Safety Committee and will be reviewed in another committee to make sure it does not penalize trafficking victims. The bill's author, Senator Shannon Grove, said she already made changes to address those concerns. The state Senate already unanimously passed the bill. And still to come, on the final day of Biden's trip to Europe, President Biden says Putin has already lost and Ukraine confirms that cluster bombs have arrived. And fresh off a NATO summit in Lithuania, President Joe Biden authorizes a mobilization of thousands of reserve troops that and more after the break. Tonight on America's Hope, how the pastor of former President Jimmy Carter talks about his heartwarming friendship with him and how he's involved in helping prisoners get a second chance. And we also focus on a program, Hope for Prisoners. All that and more tonight on America's Hope. Welcome back. One of the most senior Russian generals fighting in Ukraine says he's been fired. That's what we're accusing leadership in the defense ministry of double-crossing his troops by not giving them enough support. General Ivan Popov is in command of forces in Russian-occupied southern Ukraine. He has taken part in the intense fighting in Zaporizhia. The general's grievances include not enough anti-artillery strikes nor recon and suffering mass casualties from Ukrainian artillery. This was published in an audio recording on Telegram by a Russian MP. But a pro-Kremlin official said it's political show and was never supposed to be public. Popov said he told this to the highest brass, frankly and harshly, saying he had no right to lie. He accused Defense Minister Sergei Shoigu of treason and said Shoigu fired him. Popov's army was said to have, hit, said to have its base hit by a missile strike that left another Russian general dead. President Biden just came back from an eventful NATO summit and is optimistic about Ukraine's chances of fending off Russia's invasion. And today's Iris Tao has more on the final day of Biden's trip to Europe. Wrapping up his five-day, three-country trip to Europe, President Biden on Thursday sought to send a stern message to Moscow. Putin's already lost the war. There is no possibility of him winning the war in Ukraine. He's already lost that war. 
Before heading back to Washington, President Biden made a stop in Finland, meeting with Nordic leaders and hailing the latest members of the NATO alliance. Both Finland and Sweden are going to add significantly to the strength, security and, uh, and unanimity of NATO. That says Ukraine's membership also came into the spotlight as NATO leaders this week promised to facilitate a path for it to join. A Ukrainian military official confirmed that Ukraine has already received cluster bombs from the U.S. just a week after Washington announced a controversial move. President Biden defending that decision while in Europe and said it would only be supplied temporarily. Reporting by Iris Tao, NTD News. The Biden administration has authorized the call-up of up to 3,000 reserve troops to support operations on the continent. And today's Daniel Monahan has more on the move carried out under Operation Atlantic Resolve. Operation Atlantic Resolve refers to military activities in response to Russian operations in Ukraine. It was launched after Russia's 2014 invasion of the Crimean Peninsula. It aims to strengthen deterrence along NATO's eastern flank. In a statement, President Joe Biden said, I hereby determine that it is necessary to augment the active armed forces of the United States for the effective conduct of Operation Atlantic Resolve in and around the United States European Command's area of responsibility. Lieutenant General Douglas Sims also reacted, saying, This reaffirms the unwavering support and commitment to the defense of NATO's eastern flank in the wake of Russia's illegal and unprovoked war on Ukraine. There are currently over 100,000 U.S. troops in Europe. Tens of thousands were sent there last year after Russia's invasion of Ukraine. That also includes a rotating force of 10,000 troops stationed in Poland, which has become a supply and support hub for Ukraine. Whether or not Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin actually intends to deploy the 3,000 reservists anytime soon is unknown. The potential mobilization comes in the wake of the NATO summit in Lithuania this week. NATO allies pledged to ready 300,000 troops for rapid deployment within 30 days or less. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. And now to some short headlines from around the world. The Kremlin says the status of the private Wagner mercenary group needs to be considered. This comes a day after President Putin stated that the Wagner private military group simply doesn't exist as a legal entity. Putin also told a newspaper that after their failed mutiny, he offered the mercenaries the opportunity to keep fighting, but they rejected it. The fate of the fighters and leader Prigozhin remains cloudy. The German government yesterday presented a long-awaited China strategy. It's a balancing act. Berlin calls China a system systemic rival and points to the need to reduce risks of dependency while it's keen to maintain good ties with its biggest single trading partner. A brawl erupted in the Kosovo parliament yesterday, this after an opposition lawmaker threw water on Prime Minister Alban Kurti. Kurti was speaking about the tensions with ethnic Serbs in the country's north. The U.S. and the European Union have pressured Kurti to help calm the situation after violence broke out in May. Also in Germany, climate activists blocked a runway at Hamburg Airport yesterday. The move caused numerous flights to be cancelled on the first day of school holidays. Members of the same group also cut through a security fence at Düsseldorf Airport and blocked an access route to the runway. A man who says he has transitioned into a woman has won the Miss Netherlands beauty pageant. Ricky Valerie Coley now will advance to the Miss Universe competition. That will be in El Salvador later this year. We hear a perspective on this from a leader in the entertainment industry.
Joining me now is Ilan Srilovich, CEO, filmmaker, and actor. Ilan, thank you for coming on today to discuss this questionable topic here. My pleasure. What are the rules in Miss Universe on allowing transgender athletes to compete in light of Coley winning the Miss Netherlands competition? Well, I mean, what's most interesting is that the new CEO is a trans activist and transgender themselves. So I think the, the rules no longer uh, are relevant. It's whatever the leadership wants from the top down, which is clearly to see, uh, by their own admission, more of this. So what happened with Miss Netherlands should become a staple in all beauty pageants sooner or later if we keep going down this track. And how would this affect people's ability to discern what is femininity and beauty I mean, this is just one other aspect of the erasure of womanhood. Uh, and we can no longer define what a woman is. We take biological males who identify as women and we put them in prison with women uh, when they commit crimes now. Uh, we bring them into women's shelters, into women's private spaces, into sports, and now beauty pageants. I thought the last thing that would be stolen from women is beauty. I thought that would be the toughest thing to take away from them. But apparently, uh, biological males are winning that too now. So. And there are some people that say that allowing transgender people to compete in these pageants will actually take opportunities away from women. Are we seeing this happen on any sizable scale here? I mean, it starts off slow. You're seeing it with Miss Netherlands now. I mean, you're seeing it across the board in every industry. So even if it happens once, it's too much. You see all those women standing on stage having to cheer on uh, a biological male who took their spot. I guarantee you many of them are not happy about it. This has been a historically... Uh, women's space beauty pageants and now you have biological men who are stepping in there and taking opportunities away from women so yeah even one time in my opinion is enough to speak out against it and you talk about speaking out in your industry have you seen people voicing their concerns about this no there's definitely too much fear around it I don't I don't even think in society in general you hear people speaking out against it not by and large because they're scared uh, any type of fundamentalist ideology, any type of ideology that wants to take control, or any time you have a very, very vocal minority who is aggressive about their position, you will see a large percentage of the population comply just out of agreeableness and out of not being aware that other people are self-censoring too. So you don't know you're in the majority until you start speaking out, which I think is what's happening in most of these cases when it comes to reasonable positions. Like, don't give your kid hormone blockers at 10 years old. We should have beauty pageants just for women. We should not put biological men in prison with women just because they identify as women. These are completely reasonable positions. Most people agree. We're just scared to say it, so we think no one else agrees. Well, thank you so much for providing your perspective on this. Elon Srilovich, CEO, filmmaker, and actor, I really do appreciate it. Thanks very much. Still to come, a WHO committee yesterday established a link between a popular artificial sweetener and potential cancer risk, so stay tuned for that. Welcome back. Kevin, have you seen the new film, Sound of Freedom? It's seeing big box uh, office numbers. You know, I have not seen it yet, but some are saying it's very touching and powerful. Mm, yeah, I totally believe that. And um, the movie tackles a very tough subject matter because about child trafficking. So it's an independent film distributed by production company Angel Studios. It was originally produced by 20th Century Studios, but Disney put the project on hold after acquiring the studio in 2019. So Angel Studios is based in Utah and subsequently took over the project. 
Entity business host Don Ma spoke with Angel Studios earlier. Let's take a look at that interview. And here to talk to me about the sound of freedom is Angel Studios Senior VP of Global Distribution, Jared Giese. I mean, yeah, Jared, just, just tell us about the success you're seeing with this film. Yeah, thank you. The success has been uh, just amazing to watch uh, as there's really been a, a, a movement that's coming around this film. And, and that was really our goal from the beginning. Uh, you know, our, uh, launching this film on July 4th, um, our mission was um, and continues to be to get two million people in theaters to represent the two million children that are trafficked around the world. Um, and we've more than doubled that goal so far, and it's continuing to grow, uh, and which was really our hope from the beginning, that people would watch this film and be impacted by it and want to share it with others. And, and uh, of course, there's lots of competition still, and uh, but we're excited to see that, that people are continuing to choose to support uh, Sound of Freedom um, as they go to the theater. I mean, speaking of competition, I think this movie is pretty much doing just as well as other blockbuster movies, you know, like uh, The Dial of Destiny. Yes, we're right up there and, you know, neck and neck for, you know, some days number one, some days number two, three, you know, we're, we're consistently performing uh, in the, the top box office tiers and, and, and that's just a testament to, to people's desire to, uh, to support this film and, and, and just really the quality of the film and the storytelling. It's, it's a powerful uh, film that's based on an incredible true story. I think the success of the movie doesn't just say something about the movie itself. Uh, perhaps it also says something about what Americans want. Um, they're, so to speak, voting with their feet, right? Absolutely. I mean, that's one of the reasons we're uh, very bullish on releasing movies in theaters, uh, because it is a community experience. And when you go to the theater um, and you choose a movie like Sound of Freedom, you are saying these are the kinds of stories we want in our community and in your city. Uh, and so you're telling the theater chains that that's what you want. And we've had amazing support and response from, from all the major theater chains and the mom and pop theater chains all across America who have been happy to, to have this film in their theaters. The movie is obviously successful at the box office. What do you think made that happen? Well, you know, the Angel Studios model um, really leans into um, the support of the fans and, and a community that we build around each one of our films. And so uh, we have what we call the Angel Guild, and it's made up of almost 100,000 people um, across the world who choose the content. And they watched Sound of Freedom, and they said, this is a story that amplifies light, and we would be very disappointed if this was not brought to theaters. And so it scored one of our highest ratings um, with, with our group, and so that community selected this film, and then we brought it to the crowd, who then invested $5 million in two weeks um, to bring the, the, the prints and advertising, the marketing campaign. They funded that to bring that to theaters. And, and then they've been paying it forward. Uh, and so we've, we've launched a, a pay it forward program for theater tickets, where when you watch this movie, you can, as soon as the film is done, you can pull your phone out and scan a QR code and help other people to see it. And so we're seeing people across America scan those QR codes. They're, been, they're, they're impacted by the film and they want other people to have that same experience. So you can actually watch Sound of Freedom for free in a theater. So if you can't afford to go to the movies or for whatever reason, there are free tickets that have been paid for you that you can get at angel.com slash free tickets. All right, thank you so much today, Jared. It was such a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you. 
A World Health Organization agency yesterday declared a widely used artificial sweetener as a possible carcinogen. Aspartame is one of the six sweeteners currently approved by the FDA. It's found in thousands of products, including diet sodas, sugar-free yogurts, as well as drinks, sports drinks and energy drinks. While the FDA regards the sweetener as generally safe for human consumption when consumed at below 50 milligrams per kilogram of body weight, others have deemed the findings concerning and called for changes by using safer alternatives. The WHO and others have stressed that consumers faced with a decision between sugar drink and one with sweeteners should consider drinking water or unsweetened drinks instead. This is something that industry, consumers, and regulators really need to take notice of. This is very concerning. CSPI would like to see industry begin to reformulate their products to use safer alternatives and help consumers avoid and minimize their exposure to aspartame. Similarly, policymakers can also take this very important and authoritative evaluation under consideration and start taking steps to protect consumers as well. Another committee linked the WHO that to the WHO later stated that the sweetener remains safe to consume at already agreed to levels. Aspartame has been controversial for decades, but to this day remains one of the world's most popular sweeteners. And staying on a similar topic, health, more and more American children are being diagnosed with developmental disabilities. This is according to the CDC's latest findings published yesterday. The data shows that 8.6% of American children were diagnosed with a developmental disability in 2021. That's an uptick from 7.4% just two years prior. The percentage of children with an intellectual disability or autism spectrum disorder is relatively stagnant, but there is an increase in other developmental delays. The prevalence of developmental delays decreased as children grew older, but the diagnosis of intellectual disabilities increased. And boys are twice more likely than girls to be diagnosed with any developmental disabilities. They're also three times more likely to experience autism spectrum disorder. Coming up, a panel discussion on a new Epic Times documentary called No Farmers, No Food. The coming food crisis was held at Freedom Fest yesterday. We have impressions from panelists and attendees. Good to have you back. A panel discussion on an upcoming Epic Times documentary called No Farmers, No Food, The Coming Food Crisis was held at Freedom Fest in Memphis, Tennessee yesterday. We heard from panelists and attendees to get their impressions on the film. Let's take a look. It's, it tells you everything you need to know about the global leaders behind this, about the corporate government collusion, and about why their livelihood is being threatened. And it goes even beyond agriculture, because the same thing's happening in our energy supply and our transportation. Uh, so what Epic Times has done here is they've really, in a nice, tight package, delivered to people who want to know what's going on with our food supply, what, who's behind it, how they can stop it, and how they can fight back. We're talking about the most basic freedoms that people can have, the right to um, produce, the right to consume, the right to own land, the right to control, uh, to, to govern themselves. I mean, th these are just absolutely fundamental issues that transcend party lines, that transcend uh, partisanship and, and these kind of squabbles that we have nowadays. Uh, so it's a very, very good investment in your time, I think, to, to find out what's happening to the food supply. 
I finished the documentary thinking that how compelling it was. And so I'm really thrilled. I think it's going to uh, wake up a lot of people that don't know that this is a problem and hopefully help wake them up in time that we can fix it. The documentary looks into the agenda behind global green policies, stories of farmers forced out of business, disruptions to the food supply, and why edible bugs are suddenly being pushed as a global green solution. Those attending the panel said they can't wait to see the film. Gotta watch it. That's it. You need to know what's going on. That's the first thing we need to do, get information out there. People have to become aware. Question everything. You know, we're getting to the point we just have to go, that doesn't sound right. Just doesn't sound right. I'm not going to eat crickets. I'm, I love my steak, and so I want to learn more about it. I want to watch the show. No Farmers, No Food, The Coming Food Crisis is scheduled to come out in September on Epic TV. Yeah, the food supply is one thing that is very important. Well, that's right. I can't wait. Yeah, I, I've been waiting for this one for a while now. And I have to say, I found the leftover crickets from shooting this in the office. I tried it for my protein, and it's not working for me. <laughs> well, and, you know, farmers, they have to use these pesticides. And, of course, there have to be regulations on this. But, again, at the same time, they have to be able to produce. Mm, that's right. Good point. All right. And to swing into the weekend, we have something that you might like for the current hot weather. Yes, Wimbledon 2023 is in full swing, and hundreds of thousands of cups of an iconic British fruit cup are expected to be served at the tennis tournament. Here's how you can make your own PIMS. Cold, fruity, refreshing. A Victorian British fruit cup made from liqueurs, spices, gin, and garnished with fruit, which is now a quintessential summer classic. And perhaps the best known fruit cup, the PIMS cup, or PIMS number one cup to be precise. The name comes from one of the drink's pioneers, James Pym who first served his fruit cup in a London oyster bar in 1840. It was his original Pim's number no. one, with its secret recipe of herbs and spices that caught on. Then known for its medicinal qualities, it is now the essential drink of Wimbledon, one of tennis's most prestigious tournaments, which was first played in 1877. Although it took until 1971 for the drink to take over Wimbledon, nowadays you'll see more pims than points served. With fans enjoying more than 300,000 glasses over the two weeks of the tournament. So if you want to watch the tennis with the perfect drink to match, look no further. Here's how to make a pims cup the Wimbledon way. First, you'll need to gather some Pims number one, fizzy lemonade, strawberries, an orange, a cucumber, some mint, and lots of ice. Then the fun begins. Fill a highball glass with ice. Pour over one and a half ounces of Pims number one. Add five ounces of lemonade. Add two strawberry halves, two orange wheels, two cucumber slices, and stir. Finish with a sprig of mint, a straw, and enjoy. Sounds so good. Refreshing, I need one now. Yes, oh, I know, and I saw the mint garnish on there, you know, and they say mint is actually very refreshing to the body and mind during oh, the yeah. summer. Oh, I can totally see that. Yeah. And going back to that earlier story, you know, about the aspartame, juicing is actually really good for you. And they say that the juice from the actual plant is actually better because the water inside has been filtered through the fruit. Oh, 
There you go. That's an alternative. So? All right. That's all for today's program. We'd love to hear from you at goodmorning at ntd.com. Write us if you'd like. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.